Hey guys, welcome to the Living Remnant Podcast. I'm Brad. I'll be your host this evening, and I'm joined by my co-host, Miss Nikki Williams. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Get right into the show. This evening, we have brought on a guest. Her name is Stephanie Griffin, and uh, she's on. She's actually coming to visit Kernersville from the left coast uh, about <laughs> to talk about her book and a message um, that, that I think everybody needs to hear. Uh, the book is Silence No More, Delivered from the Deception of Spiritual Formation. So, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you both. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for coming on. We, uh, we appreciate you taking the time, and we're looking forward to seeing you in Kernersville next you week. Too. Have you ever been to North Carolina before? Well, I have family in North Carolina, and I okay. grew up in, in Southern Virginia, so I'm very familiar with North Carolina, uh, just close to the border, but I've never been to Kernersville. Okay, well, oh, it yeah. is a it's a lovely town here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're gonna come in on uh, you'll be here next week, and I think your first um, lecture is going to be on Friday. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay. So, awesome, and it goes through Sabbath. What what time Friday? Um, I believe it's seven. Six, six. Seven. We will we will put that up. Sorry. Yeah, we'll make sure to post links uh, for this in the show description. Yes, and I sure. run Facebook for the church, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, I should know too, but I'm I'm deep in the throes of finishing the lecture, so I'm just well, concerned about getting content. Evening, you <laughs> will definitely be there. We will be respond there. For more Love to see you. We will definitely get to whoever's there. But it, this is one you're not going to want to miss. This is this is something really big, and I'm really excited to um, hear more from Stephanie, her experiences, and I know that there's going to be so much information um, that we're going to really be enriched and and. Um, it's going to be a message that's going to touch us all on, on when she comes. So I'm excited. So you wrote this book and um, you kind of use the terms I saw in there, false revival. You know, what is that? What does that mean? What is this all about? Uh, as, as it was meant for, for the purposes of the book and the content, it's really about the emotionalism that we're seeing now and everything's based on emotion and feelings and <clears throat> that experience then um, is the implication of um, experiencing God. And so when, you, when you're focused on emotions, we're not really focused on content, but how we feel. And that is not how we are to, um, to understand uh, our relationship with Christ. That's based on truth. It's based on faith, taking him at his word. We don't always feel good. We don't always feel happy. Um, or joyful. And he is the source of all of those. And certainly through the Holy Spirit, he provides those when we need them. But it is not the proof of an experience with God, not not emotions. I I once heard an evangelist say, not by feelings, but by faith. That's right. That's how we walk. Exactly. And I'm telling you, as, as the end of time, which we're in, continues to to progress, it gets more difficult. And so the faith that we're going to need definitely can't be based on feelings because it's not going to feel good. And then that's going to make us question our relationship with Christ. Am I saved? You know, we have to take that by faith. And then repentance, you know, repentance is a gift from the Holy Spirit when we're seeking God's will for our lives. And so when we're looking at sanctification, righteousness by faith, conviction doesn't feel good. 
but it's no, serving a no, greater purpose. <laughs> no. So when we look at this movement and this false revival, everything is supposed to feel good. You know, the music and the coffee and the, the mood lighting and, and the soft pillows or cushions or whatever. Um, there's no place for conviction with that. So that's a problem. It's like a soft serve. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. If I feel good, I'm good. So this could be described as anything where worship is centered around feeling good can kind of fall into this category of what, what your book is about. It's said the feel good music, the, you know, the real repetitive singing, is that all kind of part of it too? That it's a form of self hypnosis. And then we just feel good. You know, we get lost in the moment and the mood and the emotions and, and then there's a, you know, like about a 20 minute sermonette. Um, that's usually a story. They love to tell stories. It's pretty much void of the Bible or God's word. They may replace it with other things, or there may be just a, a text that's pretty neutral, and they build the story based on a neutral text, and then now go out and, and be Jesus to people. So like you show up for your worship service, it's all feel good. It's all, you know, you're connected, you feel uplifted with everybody mm-hmm. and you get just like just fluff message and mm-hmm. there's no connection really to the word of God and, and what his very, law and testimony is. Very minimal. And it, it, there does, it doesn't lend itself to a transformative experience. That's the experience we're supposed to have based, in, based on truth, truth that transforms us. That's your sanctification. That's taking on or becoming more like Christ in our characters. And so as Christ or as Jesus, God is, as God is wanting to transform us into his character from glory to glory, this movement really, it undermines that. And so as long as you feel good, there's no impetus for change. Do you think that um, a lot of people are, aware of what is this being pushed you feel or you know I'm sure at a top level but you know is it just I get rewarded with this feel good so I don't even realize that I'm missing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. the real word it's true um this movement is focused on the youth that's how you change the church you change it from the inside and the focus is the youth so those who have not been taught from childhood or learned in the home or you know at school the foundational principle pieces of bible study and the last day message you know the present truth messages the sanctuary righteousness by faith you know the 2300 days if we haven't been taught those things and know what god says and wants for us his people in the last days then there's nothing that's perceived as wrong with what's coming out and bring, being brought to them, they finally feel as, feel as though they're understood as youth, uh, the leaders who are bringing this out. You know, their sincere desire is to retain our youth. But in order to do so, they're compromising the truths for this feel-good experience. So the, the kids aren't aware. The youth aren't really aware of what's happening. They just know they feel understood. This is fun. Finally, somebody gets me. And so uh, that, that's what's happening. 
I don't want to say it's being pushed out because as a recipient in the worship service, you don't feel put upon. It comes out as beautiful, as loving, as um, welcoming, Mm -hmm. you know, but there is an agenda to get this out. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's fair to say that a lot of it is probably done with good intentions though? At a, you know, the people leading out, standing up in front of a local church, they're just trying to keep the youth there, right? It's a, almost an ignorance. I think, I think many are exactly, as you say, in a place of ignorance. I don't know that all are in, in that place. But some of these, it's well studied. And they know what they're doing. Maybe their intentions are good. But for the most part, I think most people are very ignorant of this. I was. And I had been you know, raised um, since the age of eight as a Seventh-day Adventist, and in our, in our school system from 10th grade on. So I had a very good, I think, foundation, probably more than most of our children have now when I came into this. And my intentions were very sincere. And but sincere doesn't make it right, you know? Right. So I'd love sneaky. to take a step back and... Um, talk about the history because this movement actually has a, a has a past and history and you mm-hmm. I'm sure get really deep into that over the weekend and in, in, in the lectures and in the book but can you give us just a brief um, yeah, where, does, where, where does this come from? from where does it come from it's multifactorial really it's um when you're when you're talking specifically about the spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines of St. Ignatius Loyola that came from like the 1500s, uh, when the Jesuits were established. He, he's the one who established the Jesuits. And this movement was established for a purpose. And remember, this was along the same time as the Reformation. So this was meant to be a counter-Reformation movement. So that's where the disciplines came from. And then when you look at the contemplative prayer piece, that really is just a name change from, you know, transcendental meditation. And I think it's from like 1800 to 1000 AD in Buddhism. But that's how far back the, the contemplative prayer piece goes, just with a different name. And then it was in the 1960s that um, it was brought to a Massachusetts Abbey and um, Thomas Keating was the abbot there and it was it was brought to him and and then he was the one who kind of made it come to America in a more of a purposeful way and then Richard Foster is the one who brought it into the mainstream Protestant religions. So this is something it's it's basically it's eastern meditation that's been repackaged but it's been prevalent it sounds like in the Christian church for a very long time. It's nothing new. Right. I, yeah, I, you they, know, we thought this was something new, you know, right. I, I did too, but it's, it's an ancient, just the, you know, this, this movement really loves the ancients, you know, the old way of worship, which is the new way, the old new way. So they're re-embracing these, these ancient ways of rediscovering and re-embracing them. So it's being put out as ancient ways of praying. There's a danger in, in this concept that something being older makes it better. Yes. Because as long as there's been history on this earth, there has been deception to go along with the truth, you know? Very true. So, And the oldest form of this really, you know, goes back, is based in spiritualism. 
So all this really goes back to the Garden of Eden, you know, and Eve, and the serpent engaging Eve, saying that we will not surely die. And so right. that was with contemplative prayers based in spiritualism. And I, I'll make that connection during the, um, during the slides. I just don't throw stuff out. I'll lead you uh, step by step into where this comes from and where it leads us. Obviously, you'll go very much in depth and 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 those lectures. So it's obviously yeah. it's a it's a it's a big deal. There is you know as in your words a dark force that's targeting the youth in our church, and yes. it's uh, it's something that concerned you enough that you 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 traveled to speak about and you wrote a book. So I guess I'm curious, what was your personal experience? You know that kind of sparked this. Good question. I tell you the um. Satan has every which way to come to us. He packages things exactly how we need them for where we are. And so for the Christian, it's um, contemplative prayer, keyword being prayer. For the New Age, it's, you know, meditation. Um, For the non-Christian or anything, it's this mindfulness that's coming out. So for me, as a Christian who had come back to my belief system, um, after being away uh, from some family things that I brought out in the book, I was very hurt. I felt betrayed. And so I had told God I didn't want anything to do with him. Leave me alone, which was very dangerous. What I opened myself up to, but praise God, he doesn't always hear. He doesn't always listen to us when we pray. He hears us, but he doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah. So for me to say that, he loves us enough to say, I'm not letting you go. Yeah. So. Um, having said that, uh, with the death of my grandfather, the passing of my grandfather that I share in the book, his last request to me was to pray for him. Sorry. That's okay. It's very emotional. It's very, it's it's very emotional and special to you. And and it It is, it was very pivotal point in your life. It was. And I can't wait to see him again. So, um, I couldn't pray with him. I was too angry. I was too hurt. And I was um, the only Seventh-day Adventist current child he had. And there I was, face-to-face. Couldn't give him what, I, what he wanted. So anyway, that was very sobering to me. And God's timing is perfect. He had me placed where I needed to be. And uh, it wasn't long thereafter. Uh, by the next visiting hour, he was, uh, he was going to die. So in which he died with me after everyone had been through to see him. And I tell about that in my book. And it's just like, I just, God loves us enough to, to intervene, to call us back to him. So after that, after that experience, I made it my mission to have a relationship with God again. I wanted to be able to pray with people. And I knew that to be able to pray with people, or four people, I needed to have a relationship myself. So that's when I started delving back into my relationship with them, reading my Bible, and then I discovered the sanctuary at that point. I didn't know about the sanctuary message. And when I found the sanctuary, I was I was blown away and so grateful because within that doctrine contains all of our doctrine. Within that message, it's it's all of our doctrine. Finally, it made sense to me why I was taught the things that I was taught, why I was the way I was or had been in my 
in my belief system? Why was I different than Sunday keepers? You know, so it made it gave reason to us being Seventh Day Adventists. Um, and then from there, I met a very kind chaplain at the hospital where I worked, or moonlighted. And he was not Seventh Day Adventist, but he was a very kind man, and he loves people, and he loved God, loves God. And so he would engage me. Um, from time to time, would you like to meet with me to do, deepen your relationship with God? He offered me an experience of going deeper into a prayer life. So given my experience with my grandfather and my desire to go deeper in relationship with God and into prayer, wanted to know more about prayer. Um, you can never know enough about prayer for me. So that is how I accepted my invitation and began a year or so journey into spiritual formation and contemplative prayer. So, and this, um, he began to start um, guiding you and Mm -hmm. what you felt was, I mean, a minister was, was kind of a pastor was working with you and, and Mm -hmm. speaking with you, but this is where, and I think you use the word exercises and the meditation Mm -hmm. and start. So there's actually like, there's a set of of extra I don't know how else to say them procedures they are. <laughs> yeah which is and hospital lingo so procedures crazy, right? you you started going through these exercises as you thought as in guidance to help you with prayer mm-hmm. and can you kind of explain because this is contemplated what you describe contemplative prayer for me it was um, the most beautiful serene experience I had ever had and learning to do it, it felt kind of weird. I, I read a book about it, and I, I don't know. It was kind of counterintuitive. Why should I need to read about prayer? But then there were other books on prayer that I was reading that are biblical. So, yeah. <laughs> so I just like, okay. And it kept saying, this is, you know, this is um, where you will be present with God. And this is where God can do the most intimate work in you and change you. So for me, um, that sounded like sanctification as a Seventh-day Adventist we teach sanctification. So why wouldn't a close walk with God, a close union, being in his presence, not be something that would lead towards sanctification? Right. So it seems like a reasonable. Yeah. And so um, I should have looked at other things, you know, that could have been red flags, were red flags, but I didn't. Or I would throw them aside. You know, this, there's a, I keep hearing this over and over from people, and I used it myself. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. Let me tell you, I'm a perfect example of not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We have to rely on the Word of God, and if it doesn't line up with the Word of God in totality, we need to not be a part of it. Yeah, but the only way you would know that is if you know the Word. Yes. And it's it's interesting that I knew a lot of the word. I had read the 28 fundamental beliefs, you know, at that time it was 27. So I I had read those. I I was reading, you know, seminary textbooks without knowing it. I was picking these books off of shelves. And later I find out they were seminary textbooks on the sanctuary, you know, on this, on that. So it's, I was ignorant, but I wasn't stupid. And there was really no excuse for my ignorance, but it's where... It happened, and that is just how subversive this movement is, and that is how tricky 
we can even be in our thoughts about these pieces. Our, our, our hearts are inherently wicked and it's amazing when something feels good, how we can Mm -hmm. rationalize and justify it and wrap it up into a box. And even if there's red flags, it's like, Oh, well, no, it's pretty good though. I, I I can, you know, it's understandable. It's human nature. And that's, that's part of, I guess, what makes this dangerous. It does. That's exactly what makes it dangerous. Satan has had many years of experience of um, packaging things in a way that can make you really doubt yourself. When doubt comes up, you doubt yourself, you know? Yeah. You just, you you just push it aside. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, I heard you um, actually in another interview explain that, that it is designed, these exercises are designed to shut down your frontal lobe where you make decisions. And so it, you're, you're, you're not thinking clearly about this and you're enjoying it. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's all together. And that's the same, you know, we've watched some things about music that does the same thing, the rhythm, syncopated rhythm and so on shuts that center down of your brain. Satan really does want our minds. You know, where's, where does the ceiling take place? In our minds, right? Right. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through that frontal lobe. He convicts us through that that frontal lobe, uh, the area of conscience and discernment. And um, if Satan can shut that down, however he does it, through music, through um, contemplative reading, like Lectio Divina, or uh, contemplative prayer, he he will do it. Whatever he can do to capture the mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what's so scary about this is they don't, you know, a lot of people don't even realize it because they're not, their foundation is not strong in in Christ Mm -hmm. and in the word. And then Mm -hmm. um, it opens that door for the back door for things to be put in there. So exactly back at back with your story. So you, you found yourself involved with this practicing the contemplative prayer Mm -hmm. and so what, what was the wake up call? What was the turning point? You said it felt pretty good. What, what changed? What changed? Um, well, I got busy because then I started going to school. Well, there were some things. I was, I was in school for a master's in spiritual formation. I was also about six months away from completing a three-year uh, training in spiritual direction to become a spiritual director. And uh, there, just, there was just this, some sort of resistance that was happening that I didn't understand. And I thought, okay, there's just too much going on in my life. You know, I'll get back to it when things settle down. And, you know, God kept intervening. He let me go so far. And then he put up this wall, thankfully. The the transition for me was when uh, I got a visit from my sister. And uh, thank God for a praying sister. And a book she bought when she was here from the ABC store. Didn't know why she bought it but had prayed, you know, Lord, if there's anything I need to pick up in here, then I don't know, let me know. Anyway, I'll tell that one in my testimony. (laughs) But that was the beginning to my waking up to this. And then it it took a little more convincing with the contemplative prayer because I was that addicted to it. I was that married to it. And so it made me doubt, would I be giving up my relationship with Christ? Would I be losing this intimacy? What does my prayer life look like now without it? that scared me. And so it took a few more things for God to really move in that area, but he did. It's really hard to imagine. I think for a lot of people, maybe for me, how 
Satan is, is working on somebody, you know, you were obviously from, you know, your story, a very spiritual person. You were, it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm, how is going to church <laughs> so bad for me? Yeah, how can praying be bad for me? That's exactly. Like, it seemed like you had found, you'd come to a turning point, waking up to, to the deception that you found yourself involved in. So I thought I was just going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Was um, it hard to untangle yourself? I mean, because it doesn't sound oh, like it was just your own prayer life. I mean, you were involved for nine years, so there were there it was, a lot of connections. and It was part of me. You know, it was part of me. So, yeah, it was um, – I, I felt very strange. I felt, like, empty in a sense for a while. I was fearful. What if I'm wrong in giving this up? You know, what's going to happen? Am I going to be lost? You know, there's a lot. Satan has, he loves to cause doubt, you know, we talked about before. And so um, if he can keep us entangled, even with fear, because he's not love, right? God is love. He wants our worship from love. And um, Satan doesn't care if it's our love to him or sense of fear or whatever it is. Um, He just wants us to stay connected to him. So it was, it was kind of odd for me for a little while. But, you know, it was a walk of faith. That's where I really learned to, okay, I felt convicted. I believed the things that I had discovered, and I, I believed the Word of God. So that's what I stood on. So I, it didn't feel good. Another, another case of going against the emotions, the feel-good stuff that I had relied on for so long. Uh, so I lost that, and I stood on faith. And so from there... God just keeps growing my faith. He has transformed my prayer life, and he continues to do that. And, you know, until the Holy Spirit was then able to accompany my prayer life and my my worship time, I didn't know what power was. So I'm grateful for how God is showing more of himself to me and his power and his ability. So, um when I look back now, I just, I, I grieve the years um, that I didn't have this in my life, have him in my life. And I was, I cheated myself of a lot of growth experiences. So, but thankfully he redeems the time and that's what he's done. And now I thought I was out and under the radar and then, uh, it started coming to me, you know, to my church and in various forms. And You mean into the Adventist church? Into the Adventist church and then it tried to come into my church specifically. Because uh-huh. when I got out, I didn't know it was in the Seventh-day Adventist church. See, I came into this movement um, from a non-Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And I was lamenting the fact that it wasn't in my church. Was, Why don't we have something like this, you know? Why can't I go to a Seventh-day Adventist school to learn this and to get this degree? Little did I know it was there. So it was a couple years before I actually started seeing it. And then when it came to my church during a prayer retreat weekend, I don't want to say retreat, it was a seminar. Uh, I was like, whoa, this is strangely familiar. This, This is coming into our church. It's already in our church. And for those who don't have it in their church, praise God. But we really need to know what this is 
just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it's not there. And oftentimes we don't even know it's there until something just doesn't feel right, but we don't know what's going on. And we have a splinter in the church. Mm -hmm. Like where did this come from? What's going on? And oftentimes you trace it right back to uh, spiritual formation. And I the think it's church. important that you're calling this out in such a way for people to understand because, you know, we want to deepen our relationship as well with God. And, and we mm-hmm. want to keep our youth. And so we start watering things down. And before we know it, we've gone so far that we have lost the message. And I think that's yeah. the, 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 the message that you're trying to get out is, is you can't you know, allow that wolf in sheep clothing to come in mm-hmm. under the pretense that it's okay, it's just a little, we'll just, you know, you got to soften the message for mm-hmm. you know, these young people. And it just opens the, the door for, for what can come behind it. Exactly. Yes. He relies, Satan relies on our ignorance. We have, we have listeners that listen to this from all over. And I know many won't have the opportunity to attend your talk when you come, could you maybe share a couple of signs that, that people might see in their church, you know, to be aware of that spiritual formation is starting to come in a couple of warning sure. signs. Sure. Um, there's always an uplifting of Jesus, which is good. We are supposed to uplift Jesus, but we need to uplift the full character of Jesus. And I've, I've said this, um, this movement really only, only wants to uplift the love of Jesus so you, you're not going to hear anything about sin, uh, conviction, the righteousness of Christ. You're not going to hear sanctification. You're not going to hear righteousness by faith messages. Anything with the three angels messages, you're just not going to hear. Or they may give a title of such, but not really teach the full meaning of what it, the implication to us which is, you know, sanctification um, by faith through Christ. You'll see um, quotes from non-Seventh-day Adventists being used. Uh, Spirit of prophecy will be minimized if spoken of at all. Sometimes it's made fun of. But here's what I have noticed lately. There is a resurgence of incorporating some spirit of prophecy at times. It was very glaring when you're not speaking spirit of prophecy or quoting spirit of prophecy and you're making fun of it. So as that became an identifying mark, they now have begun to incorporate some things of spirit of prophecy, but they are not going to be um, the hard truths. And I say hard, it's not hard, but it's it's the firm truths. It's just going to be more generic. They oftentimes quote the Message Bible which really isn't a Bible, it's paraphrase. Uh, anything that's watered down, they do not like the King James Version. And they use the NIV a lot. They will use language like, well, the kingdom, but it has a different meaning. Emergent Church has its own vocabulary that's very similar to what we know as Christians, Bible-based Christians have used for years. But now they have incorporated similar vocabulary that mean totally different things. So you will hear uh, expanding the kingdom, dominionism. There's a big emphasis on social justice. So they are big in um, reaching out to other denominations 
uh, for joint efforts in the community. Social gospel is huge. There's a reason for that, and I go into that in my lectures. You've got us on the edge of our seat to go through. I did. <laughs> week next week. There's so much. <laughs> I was overwhelmed when I saw this. Let me tell you, when the book came out, I didn't know the half of what I didn't know. Um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know what the emergent church was by the time the book was published. I knew about spiritual formation, but it wasn't until I was challenged um, by someone who was very wise who said, this is bigger. You need to, you need to look bigger. And so I, I delved in and it took me nine months to make the connections that I've made. And I was blown away. It's, it's so much bigger. And what this is actually rooted and grounded in, it's, uh, it's, it's horrifying. And I am just even more shocked at what I was really involved in and didn't know and how God saved me and protected me through it all. What, do, what does that mean, the emerging church? It has so that? many means, so many meanings. Is there but like the, kind of a simple way to describe it? or? Yeah, basically, it's, it's, not a, it's not a denomination. So don't think about another denomination. It's just a different way of thinking and approaching religion. So it's culture and, and man reinterpreting God's word. So it's, it's changing the church from the inside, whatever denomination you are, uh, based on um, culture and truth, which in today's postmodern age is relative. Right. Yeah. So it can be in any denomination or any, any church. Right. And so once okay. you start redefining what God says in those terms, then the truth goes out the door and you're creating something different. And so I'm, I'm feeling like we'll get some, you know, the book probably, well, the book doesn't because you learn, the, there's going to be a book too. After. There's going to be a number two. <laughs> but we can oh, help me. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like there is some organization to this because like you were going to school in these topics. So there is, um, in this movement or these theories or these exercises there's actually mm-hmm. some organization to it it sounds like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. satan is very wise in in his dealings and efforts and so he he has done a marvelous job but our god is bigger wow amen wow i'm i'm i'm, I'm excited to, to I know, hear I'm looking the rest forward to it. <laughs> and you know I, i'm also sitting here going okay so has Stephanie talked to Walter Wythe? Have they gotten together? Because, you know, it sounds so similar of like, you know, the more he looked, the more stuff came to him. And the deeper he got into things that he didn't, wasn't aware of, you know, people brought him information. And I'm just, yeah. I, I, I feel like you're saying the same thing as the, the more you looked into stuff. Yeah, this process. You know, it's, it's so interesting. You raise a good point. God sheltered me uh, during this time, just as he did with the book. He sheltered me from a lot of things, things that were already out there. And the Holy Spirit helped me bring all these pieces together and come into this understanding. And then he removed that shelter. And then I saw things that other people who had been studying, you know, was already out there, um, had put out there. And mine matched equally. I had never heard of them. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I purposefully, when I wrote the book, I didn't read, um, even though I had read a couple, a few books, 
when I was coming out, I had not read anything in like three years. And I purposely stayed away from those books because I didn't want, I didn't want my story shaped by someone else's information. So mine was based on prayer, my own research, and um, what the Holy Spirit was showing me. And, but Rick Howard, I never, I never spoke with him either. And I think I'm in touch with his wife now. Love her. She's a precious dear lady. Um, but I think it was providential that I did not meet her, uh, meet him before his passing or before the book came out. You know, there's no, there's no connection with anybody except with me and the Holy Spirit and what God was doing. Wow. So, and I would love to, to connect with Walter Weith. I did send my book to someone in his uh, ministry and I never heard back. I've emailed several times, you know. Well, he might listen because we have had a, we have had some listeners, and we did we did meet him briefly oh, in his life. So, oh, I just we have to pray for him because I tell you he carries a, a wonderful message and he has the heart to do it. So. Yeah, both of you are examples about you know speaking the truth and your experiences, and that's all you can do is speak what God is giving you and the message. Yeah. Um, to, you know, to, to bring to light this darkness. And um, so we're going to pray for protection around you as we do for Walter Reif and his Thank family. You. But, Thank um, you. Thank you. need that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to meet you on, on uh, Friday. Do we want to, do we want to cover anything else before we make sure that we tell everybody the details and, and, and how to find your book? I think it's important for people um, to come and listen because uh, yeah, there's a lot of information and there are several, you know, quite a few meetings, but each meeting has a lot of information that you're going to, you're going to want to hear. And it took a lot of time to connect this and it take, it took a lot of slides to do it. And, um, they're lengthy, but they're informative and time passes quickly when you're, when you're listening and learning. Yeah. So well, this was definitely just a very much skimming the surface of yeah. everything. We're I know it definitely whipped my appetite to I want to learn more and dive deeper. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, I still think it's very important because we need to be aware not only for ourselves and guard our minds, but we need to guard our children's minds because just because yes. we're sending them to an event that's church driven or where we think that they're, you know, involved in a prayer group or something, we need to be aware that this is entering. It's not just entering. It's here already. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said mm-hmm. yourself, you had a basis, you had a foundation in truth and, and you were seeking a deeper relationship with God and thought you were doing that in prayer and nine years went by you know, while you were in this. So we need mm-hmm. to be aware that this is entering our church. It is here. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's a danger and a risk. And so we just guard ourselves from the known dangers. We need to be aware so that we can recognize and guard ourselves. Right. This too. Right. We shouldn't be paranoid. I don't want to leave the listeners or viewers with that because we can become very paranoid when we're studying this stuff so much. And I, I don't recommend studying it heavily, but I recommend studying it in a way that leaves you um, with eyes to see with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Study the word. And the more we study the word. Yeah. And and as you said, you know, the law and the testimony, you can't throw out the law. Yeah. And so when we recognize that now you see that when you, you see the red flags when it's missing. And so that's, mm-hmm. I, think, I, I think is a big 
uh, message I took away from some of, you know, um, your speakings already that I've, I've seen. So good. Awesome. So yeah, thank you. Um, just for everybody that is local and please spread this out to everybody um, that you know of um, Friday at seven o'clock at Kernersville seventh day Adventist church. And then Saturday we start again at a uh, 1045 is the second um, message. And then we, I guess there's a break for a little bit and there's two more lectures at five and seven is what yes. I have. Yes. So awesome. Love awesome. to see everybody who comes out and um, I'm excited to, to, to meet you both and excited yeah. for what you're doing. And I, I, what a privilege to be on a podcast, my first one. All right. Well, we'll see you this week. And thank, uh, I think that's a podcast. Yep. That's a podcast. So we'll wonderful Friday. Okay. All right. Take care. God bless you. Thanks, Stephanie. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Bye-bye. Bye.